podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A fabulous free kick from Leighton Baines. Dawson, oh, what a finish from Ben Dawson. It's 2 0. It's scored by Tim Cahill in injury time for Everton. Matheson, the 16 year old, to Wilbraham, the 40 year old, stunning from Hamis Rodriguez. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Men in Blue podcast. We have a very special edition today. Anything Netflix do, we can do better. We've got a special all about the biggest club in the North East. Sorry, Middlesbrough, Darlington and Gateshead fans. We have got Ant and we have got Gary from the Waterballic podcast, both Sunderland aficionados. How are we doing, gents? Yeah, good. Right, you both very much. You, you're right, we are the biggest club in the North East. We don't need Saudi oil. <laughs> Don't know what you mean. Don't know what you mean. Yeah, very well as well, mate. Thanks for having us on, guys. Appreciate it. No worries. Had to return the favour. Obviously, I very much enjoyed being on your pod a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Please listen to the What A Ball Like podcast, that one and other episodes, if uh, you get the chance. And, of course, stay here as well after you've listened to this one. Please listen to them. Right, so, lads, first off, how on earth are you in League One? I know we've all seen it, but how are you? How are you still in League One? Are you determined to stay there forever, or because it feels I'm, like it at the I'm moment? Um, or is this the year? Finally, your year. You get out of League One. Let's hope so. Answer that one, Gary. Or I'll let you answer that one. And right, um, basically, the reason why we're in League One was years of bad. Ownership, stroke management, stroke everything that was going on with the club. To be totally honest, you know we were flirting with relegation for probably six years. Um, you know, obviously we had the highlights of sending Newcastle down um, on my thirtieth birthday, which was brilliant. Uh, we were in Dublin, uh, me going a few of my mates when Sunderland beat Everton. Sorry, guys. Um, but <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, we were shy. Don't worry about it. Got it got Martin sack and sound. Yeah. But after then, um, I mean, Sam Allardyce left, went to England. I'll never forgive Iceland for beating us. Because um, we we kind of felt at the end of that season that that was the turning point, that we weren't going to be like in that position anymore. And then England go and lose to Iceland in the Euros and Sam Allardyce gets the England job. And we got David Moyes in and I don't think David Moyes wanted the job. I think he just wanted to be back in England and everything. And, you know, he, he, he kind of said on the second game of the season, we were in a relegation battle, which he didn't adhere himself at all. He didn't really get the backing of, of um, Ellis Short by then. I think Ellis Short got bored. And as you've seen on, on the Netflix uh, documentaries, the first season we were in the championship, Ellis Short's not to be seen. You know, we've got Martin Bain trying to, you know, really cost-cut everything. And we ended up having... You know, Simon Grayson, who wasn't a Sunderland manager, you know, he, he, he's not good enough, you know, and I don't mean that in, in a in a big-headed way or anything like that, but he's not got the calibre to manage Sunderland. And then Chris Coleman, who I thought was doing all right job, he, he, he seemed to get the whole idea of being a Sunderland manager, but he was he was hamstrung by not being able to spend in January. Uh, we ended up getting, you know, players on loan like Lee Camp, who was just disgraceful. Um amongst others, and um, he then did not have a plan B when his three-at-the-back formation didn't seem to work. 
and you know we went down you know it's, it's, it's all there for everyone to see on netflix still i wish they'd get rid of that documentary to be honest because the first one's all right but the second one i can't watch the second one because it's kind of like you know what's going to happen you know it's like watching terminator known terminator's gonna die you don't want to watch it so um yeah and ever since that we've been i don't know whether we've been kind of thinking we'd get out of League One dead easily. It's proven not to be the case. You know, we're, we're in now the South fourth season and we're fighting like hell just to get in the playoffs. Um, obviously, Lee Johnson came in. Me and Gary do have different views on whether Lee Johnson should have been sacked. Personally, I think he should have done because we were losing too many games. Um, you know, like the likes of Bolton 6-0, Rotherham 5-1, um, Sheffield Wednesday 3-0. And we were just getting absolutely bullied away from home. Alex Neal's come in and... The football's not great, but he's managed to get a solid base at the back and we're starting to pick up results now. And it's been probably a little bit too late, too little too late, I think, to get the automatics. But if we get in the playoffs, I, f- I firmly believe we'll we'll go up because I think Alex Neal's got, got what it takes to get teams out of that division. So fingers crossed anyway. So that's a long story short, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what Ant just said there, 100% correct. I mean, if we go back to Moyes, Moyes didn't care about Sunderland. It was clear and obvious from the second game of the season. It was clear and obvious from his signings that he, he didn't care. Um, he signed an unknown in Didier and Dong when he could have got Jan Villa, who the fans loved, who would have been a brilliant signing for us uh, long term. Um, Grayson was obviously brought brought in as a yes man. Um, he was told that blatantly told to put Jeremy and Lenz in the window to make some money for you know for um, Ellis Short at the time. Um, Chris Coleman, lovely guy, um, very honest guy, and I think we did see that in Some Until I Die. Um, I don't think his head or his heart was truly, truly in it, and I think it was too little, too late by the time we brought Coleman in. Really, I think the club was was it was just on on its way down, um, which wasn't great from from a Sunderland perspective. I mean, we I don't think we ever thought in our wildest dreams that. Um, or even nightmares, should I say, that would would suffer back to back relegations and spend four seasons in, in League One. Um, then Charlie FN and Stuart Donald came in, which you know looked like a new era. Um, brought in Jack Ross, and to be quite honest, early on Jack Ross was good. He he, he had no plan B, unfortunately, and you know ultimately that's what cost him his job. Um, then moving on from from Jack Ross to to Phil Parkinson again. Just going back to a yes man like Simon Grayson, horrible, horrible football. Um, like Anne says, we we do have different opinions on Lee Johnson. I thought personally it was stupid the second manager after you just backed him in a window. Uh, in my honest, honest opinion, yes, we did get absolutely drubbed off Bolton. Um, it was a bad result. It was a sackable result, not just for you know Sunderland Football Club, but for many other football clubs, especially in League One. Um, we have brought in Alex Neal. Alex Neal is a championship manager. You know he's he's had ten games. And he's only lost one. As Anne said, the football isn't great. It's it's very very ugly. And I do believe he'll get us in the playoffs. But we're playing horrible football. And you know if we win ugly, right now I'm I'm not bothered as long as maybe we can see a final in the playoffs. I don't want to go down that route of saying we're definitely going to get in the playoffs because I did this last year and we got smashed off Lincoln in the second leg and I don't want to say that again because that hurt my feelings um, if we get in the playoffs we get in the playoffs if not then it's a rebuild season next year um, 
with with Neil, fingers crossed at least. Yeah, I think two players are sort of sum up the Ellis Shaw's ownership as you were on the way down was uh, the eighty grand a week Jack Rodwell, and is it the Ricky Alvarez saga? Is that the one where you agreed to buy him and you didn't want him or something, or there was some kind of madness there? He was on loan and you already agreed a fee. Am I right on that one? I, I, was it him? Someone else, but. Absolute chaos yeah, from yeah, the top it, down. Yeah. To be fair, though, Ricky Alvarez was before Moyes. It was before Allardyce. It was, I think, it was Gustavo Poyer who brought him in, and it might have even been you know earlier than that. But it was, it's rumbled on, and it actually is still rumbling on where we are now taking, I believe, it's his management company to court to try and reclaim that money back. So uh, it's just mental. But that, yeah, that was that was weird. And Jack Rodwell. The less said about Jack Rodwell, the better, to be totally honest with you, because he just came for the payday, which oh, too geez. many players have come to Sunderland to do. Um, you know, I think Charlie Methven put, put it quite right. It was the um, it was the graveyard for the um, for the unfancied footballer, to be honest. It, it happened with too many players. Um, but Rodwell, I mean, you've seen on the documentary, lads, everyone's seen it. You know, he did not want to be here, and then he didn't want to leave, um, you know, or... There was a game where we were, I think we were playing Brentford and we were losing 2-0 at half-time at Brentford. And one of my mates had texted saying, um, I've seen Jack Rodwell in the Metro Centre on the um, on the slots, so to speak, you know, on the um, on the 20p slots, you know, when you put the money in. And, you know, I like tipping point. He was on them. And it's like, you're meant to be at the bloody game, mate. You know, he wasn't injured, just didn't want to play. So he's... He's one of those ones, isn't he, Rodwell? He's a complete waste of talent. Could have been a great player, but uh, he wasn't, unfortunately. Sounds um, an eerie sort of parallel between Sunderland and um, Everton, really, at the moment, in terms of recruitment, poor management, just financial tomfoolery and complete fuck-uppery, really. Uh, bringing it up to the modern day, though, where hopefully and thankfully things are sorted out, you've got a very young owner now, I believe he's the youngest owner in the EFL, um, tell you a bit more about, about him, because I think he's the grandson of somebody quite rich, or I, you know what, I haven't done as much my research as you lads, but how's he getting on compared to the whole Stuart Donald, Charlie Methven, EDM type um, reign? Um, I'll take this one, and then if you want to add to it, like, um, from my perspective, Kyle Eustrafius, um, he is the son of the owner of Marseille, as far as I'm aware, or he, he, the owner of Marseille, I think it was his dad or his uncle that might have passed away, and then his mum has inherited his fortune. Um, what I honestly think's happened is, yeah, we, we've we've got a new era, but then obviously it's came out the last couple of months that he's not the majority shareholder, and that Madrox still is the majority shareholder, which has caused a lot of controversy with the with the club with the fan base um because no one really knows who was owning the club and i mean me and I had a discussion about this and i personally thought maybe um kyle lewis Drafius has been brought in to be a face you know while madrox hide behind him and you know he's he's ultimately going to be the whipping boy while they do stuff behind the scenes um recent stuff you know may say that that might be the case um they clearly still have a seat um in in the boxes at the stadium at the away stadium i mean Stuart Donald was at the oxford game at the weekend um and i, I read some stuff on forums about um he is well and truly a dickhead basically um 
But as far as Kyle Will goes, he's, he's relatively quite a quiet owner. I mean, I think he's only done maybe one or two interviews. He did one really early on where he did actually speak quite negatively of the previous ownership, which when you think about it, is is quite strange if Mad Rocks are still majority shareholders. Um, but Ant will probably know a little bit more about that than I do as well. Um, yeah, just on, on, on that front, Mad, Mad Rocks do um, own... Fifty three percent of the club, um, which is Stuart Donald, Charlie Methven, Juan Satori mixed together. So it's kind of when you break it down, Kirill is kind of the majority shareholder because he owns forty seven. Um, but then the rest who are, you know, so so you kind of say Stuart. I think Stuart Donald's got thirty four, Methven six, and my mass ridiculous. So Kirill is has got the outstanding say. But the, the, listen, the thing is, this will never go away with Sunderland until. Stuart Donald and Charlie Mepburn and everyone associated with them are out of this club. You know, they, they took the job, they took the ownership, they didn't have the money, you know, to to control this club. They used the parachute payments against the club, um, which has backfired tremendously. They took a, they took like an £80 million pound loan out from the club to pay, to pay something else off and still haven't put that money back in. Um, you know, Charlie Mepburn's been on other podcasts calling us worse than Worse than shit, to be honest. My mate, I swear. <laughs> worse than worse than shit, swear, to be honest. So yeah, really encouraging. One mate, it's absolutely fine. Fully, fully encouraging. <laughs> um, so we need to swear around here, bloody hell, stressfully. <laughs> yeah, it it does it, it does need them to go. You know, our, our fully back, um, Kevin Louis Dreyfus, if he was a major, if he was to be our solo owner, I think there is something in place where. He has the opportunity to buy them out at the end of the season. Should we pre-promote it to the championship? So um, it's just again, it just sums Sunderland up in the last probably five to six, seven years really well. There's a complete lack of transparency with the fans. Um, the fans have like a um, have a, a supporters group now who do get a seat at the table. They do get monthly meetings uh, or bi monthly meetings, I think it is now. And so some answers have been given, but it's still it's. It's still very much um, smoke and mirrors, I think, and it needs sorting out for us to go forward. I believe. Moving on to sort of on the pitch matters a bit more. Well, somewhat. So obviously you've uh, sacked Lee Johnson. Alex Neal's come in. There was talk though, and it was touted in the national media of a return of Roy Keane. Um, what was obviously the national media were like? Oh, brilliant! Get him in. Get Mika Richards as assistant. It'd be banter. But what was the thoughts? up in Sunderland about that because I imagine the perception was very much different to the way the rest of the country maybe thought of that and what were your thoughts personally on the possibility of a Roy Keane return after what about 14 years or something he's been away I think after because after Lee Johnson was sacked we got beat off ball uh, oh, sorry off um, Don Gaster at home um, under our caretaker manager was Mike Dodds um, and of the football, it was awful. It was the big Jermaine Defoe's comeback game. It was forty odd thousand fans there expecting, you know, Defoe to get a hat trick or whatever, and us to absolutely, you know, turn Donny over, and we ended up getting beat two one. Um, and the football hadn't changed. It was just, it was just shocking. And when when it got announced, Rory Keane was heavily rumoured to be in. I was like, well, we're not going to go up anywhere. We might as well have a laugh until the end of the season because Rory Keane in League One would have been brilliant band there, you know, like 
the the standard of referees, Greg, you'll know about this. The standard of referees in League One are absolutely shocking, and Roy Keane losing his shit every week would have been brilliant. Um, but uh, he hasn't managed for a long time. You know, he he didn't do well at Ipswich where he was before. Um, you know, didn't last that long at Villa as assistant manager. So he's been out the game a while. It was a lucrative contract he's got at Sky. I, I'm sure he. I'm sure he didn't want to let that one go without certain promises. And I think in the long, in the long game, Alex Neal is probably a better choice than Roy Keane. I think Alex Neal's done well since he's come in. The only thing that I'm a little bit more, I'm a little bit like skeptical with the club is it should have been done as as soon as Lee Johnson was sacked. They should have had a plan, and there was obviously not a plan. The plan was we'll appease the fans, we'll sign Jermaine Defoe. That's turned into an absolute shitstorm because he's retired. Lasted six weeks, um, so it's just it's just Sunderland, really. But no, I think Kano's well. I, I I love Kano. I love Kano as a player, one of my favorite players growing up, and as a manager, it gave me the best season of my life supporting Sunderland when we went back up in the Championship. We were scoring late goals, hit left, right, and centre. We just came from nowhere. We were bottom of the league after six games, and it didn't look good at all. And Roy King came in and just absolutely transformed the club to be honest and then he made us stable in the Premier League um, before he went on a little bit of a Mad Hatter's tea party and and then quit um, but I've I've got absolutely nothing but respect for Roy Keane but his time is best served on television now being Michael Richards's um, video diary bum boy I think <laughs> No, uh, I think Roy Keane is fantastic on Sky Sports News, um, him and Mika Richards they've got great chemistry um, I will always uh, love Roy Keane for bringing Steve Malbronk to Sunderland. Um, he was a brilliant, brilliant player. Um, when the chatter came around about Roy Keane, I think probably every Sunderland fan was like, "Boy, oh, yes, let's get him in League One, show our ambition." Um, and you know, I think everyone was like that. But like Anne said, he's 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 been out the game for a, a long time. Didn't really do it at Ipswich. Uh, Villa was assistant manager again, didn't last very long, and the games changed a lot. A lot of teams play three five two. Look, Liverpool playing Gangnam press, very high press football. Um, would Roy Keane be able to come into a Sunderland team? And at the time we were playing three at the back, would it have worked if he tried new tactics, new formations? I'm not sure. I wouldn't want it to have come in and it for it to end bitterly, where. He wasn't a success because ultimately it was playoffs. Well, it was promotion on nothing, I imagine, for for Roy Keane um, because he's he's a winner. He, he's won countless trophies with Man United. Um, he wants to come in and win. He wants to not to get stuck in. He's got the passion. I just think if 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 he came in, you know, it would have ended in tears. And as Anne said, I think long term, Alex Neil. Is a better choice. He is a championship manager. If you look at what he did with Preston, like he kind of stabilised Preston. Um, te- Preston are a team which no one really expects to be around the playoffs. Never mind in this. Um, and he did. He did a very good job. He brought through some good players there as well. He does seem to have a big focus on youth, which I'm a big fan of. Um, Look at our goalkeeper for for now, Anthony Patterson. He's he's playing him at the moment. He's apparently he's got a bit of a fancy for Jacob Carney as well, so could be first and second choice respectively next season. Um, 
I think the board got it right with this appointment. Um, as long as we don't potentially let him go in the summer, if we don't go, I think he needs the project. And the 18-month rolling contract is, is bollocks because effectively that's up in January 2023, um, which I find really odd that they give him an 18-month contract, but that's just me. But I think Alex Neal's the right appointment. Right now it is. If you, if you look at the way the team is consistently, um, we look better at the back, albeit the foot, football's ugly, um, and we are scoring goals as well. It. I think what like six of his ten games were scored after the eightieth minute, so there was long term consistency over the ninety minutes. So there is an improvement being made, albeit the football is ugly. Fingers crossed, hopefully that improves. You come for more sensible but equally as scary looking appointment in Alex Neil. Um and I was gonna ask you lads about what tactically has changed between him and Lee Johnson. I've noticed like you mentioned the late goals, it was I've got a quote from Sunderland Echo today. The eighth goal after the 80th, the 80th minute in 10 games. He's on 10 games, eight late goals, got you a lot of points. That's got to be something that will, you know, you'll take any day of the week. You're scoring late on, never knowing when, when the game's over, never knowing when you're beaten or drawn. You know, a late win against um, Oxford at the weekend as well. Um, so any particular major shift you've noticed in tactics or just just keep digging in and scoring late goals and see where it gets you, really? Um, yeah, he's he's got us more solid as I, as as I mentioned earlier. You know, we we were guilty, especially away from home, of conceding really silly goals, and we were looking. Whereas under Lee Johnson, we were fantastic at home, played some lovely, lovely football, probably the best football since we've come down. But away from home, we were getting bullied off. Of I'm not going to say good sides either. We were we were, we were playing teams, you know, like we went to Shrewsbury away and. We were one 0 up. They were down to ten men, and we got we conceded an absolutely like such a soft goal. Um, and it, it was t- so many times under Johnson we were just looking. We were really, really like looking as if we were just going to fall over. Um, you know, he brought in a, a, a lad called Callum Doyle from Man City. Callum Doyle looked a really, really good centre half, but Callum Doyle hasn't had the experience of playing against you know the likes of Johnny Marcus. You know. Um, and these players who are ugly, you know, the bullies, and he he was just looking like he was looking like a kid, um, you know, the same with Dennis Sergan. um, he really struggled, um, up until like Christmas, and then he's actually you know really come on since Alex Neil's come in. What what Neil's done is he's he's got us you know solid at the back. You know, Gary's mentioned he's brought a young goalkeeper in Carl Anthony Patterson who was on loan at Notts County, uh, up until the Wickham away game. Got brought back because both our goalkeepers got COVID and hasn't looked back since. Um, he's he's um, he's played every game since. I think Hoffman may have come back for one game, um, and since since then, I mean, he's kept I think six clean sheets out of his last eight games. He's kept us in the game on Saturday. Um, Bailey Wright's come in, and Bailey Wright for me is a level above uh, League One. I think he's an excellent centre half. Uh, we brought like uh, Danny Bart in, who's looked okay as well. Um, but he's, like I say, what what he's done, he's sacrificed our forward play. You know, since Neil's come in, I think Ross Stewart's only scored twice. Ross Stewart was our top scorer. Um, he hasn't scored many goals since then. Uh, I don't think he scored any from open play since February. So that's a little bit of a worry. But what what's coming in is, as as you've just mentioned there before, Jimmy, last minute goals. Elliot Hamilton's come off the bench the last two weeks. 
set up one and scored one. Nathan Broadhead's come back. He's tremendous, guys. I know that we've got a couple of fans in here. He's an absolutely wonderful player. I mean, I hope you guys stay up and then let us have him because he is a phenomenal footballer um, and he's scoring a couple of late goals as well. And what I think it's brought in, it's, it's a never-say-die never attitude. It's But he's also what Lee Johnson... Lee Johnson was very much a poor more manager. He was using all this, you know, all this jargon, all this, you know... All this speak where he's a very good coach and he's being coached well in, in, in his head. He's read a lot of books, very well read man. Whereas Alex Neal's very much a down to earth, see it as it is. It's the first game, I think it was his first or second game, he said this team isn't fit enough. Um, and there should be. Uh, even even last week when we beat Oxford, he's took the blame for our poor first half performance, saying that was my fault. I tried to change the shape, trying to make us a little bit more attacking. And I really like that about a manager. If someone who is going to t- and look, listen, football fans aren't stupid. You know, when we're seeing something on the pitch and, and a manager, we're going like two years ago now, manager Phil Parkinson was happy about getting a point against Gillingham away. No disrespect to Gillingham away. Sunderland should be beating these teams if they want to go up. Um, and Radix Nail just say things like, you know, yeah, a couple of games where we've won, but we're being poor. He said that, and that's what I really like. And um, yeah, he's like I say, he's made us more solid, but he's also got us like just believing in ourselves a little bit more. I think you know, going to these, going to these grounds, you know, going to Oxford away. Not many teams will take points from Oxford this season. You know, Oxford have a very good home form, and we're going into games now. Where we're actually thinking, yeah, we'll, we probably will win these games. You know, we're looking better away from home than what we are at home, which is it's mental. It's really, really mental. It's a complete shift in um, in philosophy. I think. Yeah, I just want to second as well. Bailey Wright um, has been one of our most consistent players. Uh, when he's came in, he's looked absolutely the part. He's an absolute leader as well. Um, what we we need, and as I mentioned, Anthony Patterson, young lad, twenty one year old. Um, he needs someone like Bailey Wright in front of him, who who is a leader, who was captain New Zealand before. Um, Anthony Patterson will benefit from that right now. Um, Anthony Patterson, I've spoke with Ant about this. Um I'm not sold on him yet. It is you know, his command of the box, um, his communication at the minute it's it, for me it's not there, but he's twenty one year old, he, it will improve. I don't imagine Jordan Pickford was doing that at twenty, twenty one year old. Um so it will improve and I'm confident it will and we've got the right coach in Alex Neal who who will bring that out of him. But Alex Neal spoke very highly of uh, Jacob Carney as well, who was released by Man United. The reckon he had a, quite a lot of potential. So, you know, if we had two homegrown goalkeepers fighting it out for number one, I'll be very happy with that long term. Um, again, recent performances. Um, I I don't know if Ant's noticed this before, but for me, I've I've noticed how wing players aren't really you know contributing as much as maybe. There were previously, I think, because we're winning ugly, it's basic, basic football. Um, Jack Clark's went relatively quite quiet and, you know, a game or two he was quite explosive. Um, Patrick Roberts is, you know, looking fitter, he's contributing a lot more as well, but that's only one wide player who's contributing. Um, we have a multitude of wide players, players Diaku, has been out injured. Um, but again, relatively looking quite quiet. I mean, and um, I don't know what you think of the how our wingers have been performing lately. Um, it's been in and out, you know. I, I think Patrick Roberts has come in and been superb. 
Um, Jack Clark, I'm not sold on, I must admit. Um, I think Jack Clark tries to do too much. Um, you know, if, if Jack Clark get his head down and put the ball in, then fair, fair play. But we've got a lot of wingers who are the same. You know, Lyndon Gooch is the same. I think Diablo's come and he's been hot and cold at the minute he's cold. I don't think we'll sign him. Um, but yeah, I agree to an extent of what you're saying about that, Gary. But yeah, it's what what Alex Neil had to do was sort the defence out. You know, not not concede six goals against Bolton, not concede five against uh, Rotherham and stuff. And he's done that. Yeah, it's sacrificed our attacking flair, but we're still winning games. So it, at the minute, I think he will sort it out eventually. But at the minute we just need to keep doing what we're doing, keep these clean sheets, and we'll we'll make the playoffs. Yeah, one player I want to touch on with you a bit more is Patrick Roberts. Purely, I mean, I don't know how long you've had him for, just looking at the squad list now, but former Fulham, Man City prodigy, only 25. I mean, surely there's a heck of a player still in there, especially at League One level. Um, Obviously, it depends how much you use your wingers, like you say, but thoughts on him? You say he's getting fitter. Does that mean he's not really had much game time? Is he only coming in January? Just thought it was a really interesting name that stood out to me on your squad list amongst quite a few really in the in the squad that you've got. Yeah, when when he came in, and you, you've got to like respect the fact he he, he was a he was a trois, I think at, um, in France. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, but he he hadn't played many games. Uh, I think he played three or something like that. So it was getting him match fit. You can be fit, you can be you know physically fit, but we all know we're all football fans. There's two complete differences between being physically fit and being match fit. And it's took him a little while to get going. Um, you know, I think um, Lee Johnson, when he did have a man, Alex Neal, were, you know, being a bit careful with him, giving him the odd minutes. But he started the last four or five games for us now. And he's looking a very, very good player. You know, he's he's got a lot of tricks. Um, he is on form, you know, a top level, probably, you know, top championship, lower Premier League player, I would say. You know, look if you watched him at Celtic, I mean, what a player he was at Celtic. And it he just needs to find that form again, needs to find his feet and maybe that's where we can come in for him because we have turned a few careers around. You know, you look at Aidan McGeady, you know, he was coming at the end of end of his career and he's had a good swan song at us. You know, yeah, he's injured now and he's probably not gonna play again for us, but he's done really well for us since he's come in. Um but Patrick, if if he can stay fit and if he can just keep his head, you know, to him to himself and not get I'm not sure what he was distracted by, but I'm sure he was at Man City. I'm sure it was a, a good good nightlife he was getting distracted by or whatever. Um, if he can keep himself focused on his football, I mean, we've got him until the end of the season with uh, with the option to extend, which I think they will take that option up. I personally, I, I would take that up, even just matter what league we're in. Um, and I and I think I think the sky's limit for him. You know, there is a player in there. Um, it just it's 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 like that a lot at City, isn't it? We've seen that with a lot of youngsters at City who the the fly onto the scene. You know, I mean, we can go as far as back as I'm pulling him out here, Michael Johnson, who absolutely burst onto the scene, scoring a couple of goals, and look, he doesn't play football anymore. You know, it's a tough thing to do. Um, and you know, I think he's another one of those who hasn't benefited from. I think some of his moves have been poor for him. Um, you know, going going to France in Troyes. I don't know why he's done that for, you know, maybe he should have come to Sunderland at the start of uh, the season and we might have been in a better, a better, uh, a better position in the league. But yeah, I really like him. Yeah, I really do. I think he's, he's my kind of footballer where he's direct. He's got a lot of skills about him. He can score a goal. Um, so I hope 
I hope he stays fit to the end of the season. I hope we do keep him. Do you not think though that he's been signed as um, you know a kind of short term commitment to try and build a career somewhere else? Because we have to pay, I think, Man City nine hundred k if he makes a certain amount of appearances, um, which in essence isn't really that much money. If if we go up nine hundred thousand, isn't that much when we paid one million for Dennis Serkin? Um, what I do find a bit insane is that we we can buy Leon Diaku, but the fee to buy Leon Diaku is two million. Um, so I, I don't know if they see more potential in Diaku when they made this deal, when Speakman made this deal, or they do Robert. But I feel like I would love to see Robert stay. Um, you know, he's he wanted to play in the under twenty threes to to get his fitness up, and I, I admire that because um, he does want to play football. He he clearly wants to get his career back on track at twenty five years old because twenty five years old is five years off thirty. You know, most explosive talents now are coming through at the age of 17. Um, you look at Cole Palmer at, at Man City, he, he's he's going to be more likely the next big thing that's going to be getting some game time. Liam Delap is, is another one. There's so much talent in that Man City team that really... Patty, Patty another lad as well, Doyle on there and at Cardiff as well, or is that the same Doyle? It's not the same Doyle you guys it. There's one at Cardiff? No. Um, is he I think he may be, but looks, looks a good player. A striker? I think he's a fullback. Yeah. Uh, they've got so much talent in that team. They don't need Patrick Roberts. Patrick Roberts can come to Ross, I reckon. Another one I want to pick you up on is um, just another name that stood out to me, ex Huddersfield, ex-Norwich, 28 years of old, Alex Pritchard. Should be in the prime of his career, but he seems to drop down two divisions. To play for you guys, is that lack of attitude, just not met his potential? I, I, again, I haven't seen enough of him to really warrant my opinion, but just he just stood out to me as another name, I thought. You know, what, what's he doing in League One? He, I thought he was better than that. He was quite a stellar signing for Huddersfield when they first came up a few years ago. So, your thoughts on him? Is he performing well or do you think he's found his level now, really? From what I've seen of Pritchard, um, he blows hot and cold. Um, when he plays, he plays. And when he doesn't, he, he doesn't. Um, you know, this this lad would spend time at Spurs. Like He's been one of the best training, training academies in, in the world. Um has he not again much like Pat Roberts hasn't really hit the heights of his career, suffered a lot of injuries. Um, do I think he'll be there next season? I don't know. I, I don't know if Neil fancies him. Um, he didn't make the team at the weekend because he was struggling with fitness. Um, I feel like Neil wants to work more with, with the youth prospects like Dan Neil, um, who early on wasn't necessarily getting a game under, under Alex Neil. Um, so maybe, you know, Elliot Embleton might take that spot long term because Elliot Embleton last couple of games has looked actually all right. Um, but again, Pritchard could be one of one of these players who's came to us to rejuvenate his career and then ultimately move on and hopefully for us at least we get, you know, a return on how much we've spent on him, which granted it's a free transfer, but I think he's on ten grand a week. Still quite a high wage in League One. Uh so we'll see. I mean Ant might have a, a another opinion on Pritchard. I haven't really seen much of him lately, to be honest. Um, it's because he's been out injured with an ankle injury. I haven't seen much of him. <laughs> um, but for me, he's the best player in the championship when he's on his when he's on form. Um, we had a a run, and this was just it, it actually coincided with the last few games. Lee Johnson was in charge, but he was untouchable. You know, he was just. Finding pockets of space. The reason why Ross Stewart's gone on his barren spell is more than likely because Alex Pritchard hasn't been playing. 
Um, he was just going on these, you know, amazing runs. There's, there's two, for me, there's two outstanding players in League One, and it's Alex Pritchard and Barry Bannon from Chef Wed, you know, who have just got that ability to change the game and just change it like not like at a click of a finger. I mean, the, the pair of them. Um, watched them both when we played Sheffield Wednesday at home. I mean, we won five, no, we weren't quite comfortably, but the pair of them were just the two best players on the pitch by a country mile. So, um, yeah, he is he is finding his way back. I think he's only he's only been back a couple of games now. wasn't fit for the weekend, but he's another one where going into the nitty gritty part of the season is a player that I would want in my team and a player when if if and when we do get into playoffs, he's a player I would have one hundred percent confidence in that. He's going to tear teams apart. It doesn't matter who we're playing. So, um, I think Gary makes a very good point that we've got you know Embleton to try and fit in, who has really you know come to the fore the last couple of games, and that might mean that Jack Clark doesn't play. You know, Jack Clark's been very hot and cold. So, personally, I would look to maybe getting Embleton in instead of Jack Clark and bringing Pritchard back in. But uh, he'll be a football manager, guys. Not us, that's for sure. Um, just a thought that on your squad as a whole, then. Are there any players you think could make the step up to the championship? Not necessarily for you guys, but there might be a certain team in blue on Merseyside that could be looking after some championship-level players next season. Um, so, a bit of an early scout mission. Anyone you'd recommend that we could maybe throw a couple of quid at, if we've got it? No, but seriously, any players that you've got you think, if you do go up, would definitely make the grades and step up for the championship? Well, on the other side of things, I want you guys to stay up because I want Nathan Broadhead off you. Um, because he's a phenomenal player, you know, really, 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 really good player. Um, Ross Stewart, you know, I'll bring him out straight away. Fantastic striker who I firmly believe will play in the Premier League at some point in his career. Um, scored twenty three goals I think this season, and not many. I think a lot of a lot of fans who weren't Sunderland fans were were like looking at Charlie White saying, "Well, he scored thirty odd goals for you last season. Why on earth have you sold him for?" Because we had Ross Stewart, basically. You know, we uh, a lot of a lot of Sunderland fans were weren't that asked when Charlie White left. You know, White he was brilliant in that season, but White got a lot of his goals because Aidan McGeady was pressing the ball in for him. A lot of them there weren't like you know outstanding goals he was scoring. There were a lot of just you know basic headers and and all that. Which to be fair to Charlie, you still got to put them in the battle in net. Um, but Roscoe has been absolutely immense. Proper striker, you know, holds the ball up well, always puts a hundred percent in, can score any type of goal. Um, you know, he's great with his head. He's probably one of these um big strikers who's better with his feet than than his um than his head. Um, you know, he can, he's gonna go a long way, I think. Uh we'll go on, I think Gary's mentioned Dan Neal. Dan Neal, again, another one who's fallen off a little bit this season, you know, started off on fire, um, but he's only 20. Um, he's going to he's gonna play, probably play high-end championship. You know, he's got a lot of skill on him, a lot of, a very, very clever player, very calm player for his age. Um, and then I'm struggling <laughs> for, for the ones who can actually make the grades. I think we're going to need, I think, bar, you know, the likes of report, you know, Dennis Serkin, who's come from, from Tottenham, you know, I think they make the step up quite easily. We signed a guy from Leeds called Niall Huggins, who's unfortunately got a stress fracture in his back um, and has missed the last six months, which is really, really harsh on him. Um, but but you look at you look at our defence and how you know how bad it's been this season, bar the last few games. 
I can't see any of them. You know, maybe Bailey Wright can you know have a have a swan song up there. But we signed Danny Bart from Stoke, and he he's barely played. He's picked up an injury, so we haven't seen the best of him yet. We probably need a right back. Um, we've got a lad playing there at the minute called Carl Winchester. I think it's more of a midfielder, and we signed a guy from from Ireland called Trey Hume, who's who's an overnight international and barely played. So I haven't, I can't really make a judgment on him. Um, but yeah, it doesn't matter what league because I think if we don't, if we don't get promoted, a lot of these players like the likes of Stu and Pritchard, I think will leave for for a championship team. But if we do go up, it'll it'll still need a hell of a lot of investment in. You know, we're we're not silly. You know, you look how many of these clubs who are going up. You look at Rotherham or your your club at the minute. Uh, Hud, uh, not Huddersfield, I'm thinking of Peterborough, who are going to come straight back down again. You know, it's a difficult league um, to to sustain yourself in, especially against all these big money hitters that are in that league now. You've got the three that are coming down from the championship. They'll get the parachute payments. You know, you look at Norwich, who make a habit of, you know, using that second season, you know, to go back up again and then come straight back down again. Fulham are the same, you know. It's a very, very difficult league. So we are going to need a lot of investment, doesn't matter what league we're in next season. Seems to be the issue, doesn't it? Any player performs for you, Wigan seem to gap them. So it's... It's a bit frustrating, isn't it? Um, anything to add to that, Gary, at all? Yeah, you missed out Jay Matetti and 20 years old, potential Congo international. Um, I think personally, him, I wouldn't be against him and uh, Neil in the centre long term. You know, 20 and 19 respectively um, would be a good shout um, to try and build something. Um, add Pat Roberts on the right-hand side of that, then all we need is a decent left winger. Um, and I think that's an all right midfield four. Bailey Wright, like Anne said, Swan Song most likely. Um, he's been brilliant this season for us. Very consistent. Um, what we've needed. We do need a right back. Dennis Serkin. May, let's say we do go up. Might not hit hit the championship heights in the first season. But maybe once you get a feel for the football, he could be a bit more of a consistent player. Um, I don't feel Anthony Patterson would be ready for the championship. Don't feel like oh, I don't feel like you know Jack Clark could do it if if we you know got him on loan again. Um, I think he's more interested in putting himself in a shot window for a, for a, you know permanent move. Ross Stewart, no one said he would get twenty goals this season. Everyone was against him. He's got twenty two goals. Yes, he hasn't scored in the last eight games from open play, but the, there is a striker there. And as Anne said, can see him playing in the Premier League. I could see him. Playing in the Premier League, maybe not for, you know, your likes of a Wolves, for example, but definitely, you know, one of the maybe the the lower league teams. I could see him being there and, you know, putting in putting in a shift, so to speak. But that's I mean, the team needs an overhaul. Um, the fans love Luke O'Neill, but I don't think Luke O'Neill is a Championship player, in my honest honest opinion. There's a love-hate relationship with Lyndon Gooch. Um, some days he can be brilliant, and some days you know he he is the you know the battering ram for for the fans. No one likes Corey Evans. Alex Neil sees something in him. He's very quiet in, in midfield. Hasn't really, to me, hasn't done anything maybe to merit the abuse he's getting as of yet. He's he's, he's sitting in there, and there's a reason he's playing. Is because Alex Neil likes him. And, and he's probably one of those midfielders who is ugly, um, playing ugly. Sorry, not ugly. Uh, he's sorry, not listening to us, don't worry. 
Um, but <laughs> but um, again, you know, he, he came from Blackburn and now in the championship. And I don't think Corey Evans will get, ever get back the championship standards. Neither will Danny Danny Bath. Arbinet Jamalji, we, we don't know anything of him. Um, we don't know what he's really capable of. He's played, the amount of games he's played, I think I can probably count on one hand due to his injury. But I don't see him being there next season either. So I don't think we're ever going to find out what he can do personally. But there was a couple of, you know, hot prospects as far as, you know, the youth setup goes. But we'll just have to wait and see what happens with that. Right. Well, I'm not going to ask if you think you're going to go up or not, because that's a really loaded question. What I will say, though, you've got five fixtures remaining. Game in hand over Wickham in seventh. Um, looking at your fixtures, you've got Shrewsbury at home, Plymouth away, oof, Cambridge at home, Rotherham at home, oof, and then Morecambe away on the final day, which could be a bit of a six-pointer in terms of the top and bottom of the league. How many points do you think you're getting out of those five games? I'm not going to say if that's enough for playoffs, just how many points do you think you're going to get out of the next 15? Do you want me to go first here, Gary, or not? Yeah, you just add one onto his total there. or take one away. It's fine. Just you know, can I copy your homework, <laughs> but not in the same handwriting? Don't make it look obvious. Right, right. I think we'll beat Shrewsbury. Plymouth are a fantastic side at home, so I'll take a point. I think we'll beat Cambridge. Rotherham have fallen off the cliff as far as you know their forms. I'm going to say they're, they're those tonight, the aren't they? Yeah, tonight. Um, of Portsmouth. So they're really struggling now. Um, you know, I, I, I'd actually say the top two at the minute are the favourites to go up. I think Wigan, well, Wigan, Wigan have been brilliant all season. To be fair, them, even though they've got you know half of our ex players playing for them, but uh, that's another story. So Rotherham at home. That's our last home game of the season. For me, that needs we need to win that one. Um, and then if we're in the playoffs. Before that Morton game, because as, as you said, it's, it could be that we need to win to, to get in the playoffs. They'll be struggling for their lives to go down. You know what's going to happen there. You know, so as long as we're in the playoffs, but we have actually just sold Morton out today. Um, so there's going to be, I don't know how many we've been given, maybe two and a half thousand Sunderland fans there that will be being for blood if we don't win that game, to be honest. So I'm gonna I'm going to be optimistic. And I'm going to say that we'll go the rest of the season unbeaten because we're on a bit of a roll now. You know, we're, we're not conceding as many goals as we were. We're definitely not conceding stupid goals. We're starting to, you know, get these, you know, these extra time, you know, added on time, added on time goals where, you know, you can never switch off against us anymore. Um, so I'm going to say we'll win the three home games and then beat Morecambe away and get a draw off Plymouth. So that's 13, isn't it? Very decent return. And I think, yeah, moral of the story is never leave a Sunderland game early. Absolutely. Gary, would you agree with 13? Higher or lower than a 13? Gary, what do you think? It's a generation game, this, isn't it? Well, I think we'll, I think we'll definitely take three points off Shrewsbury um, on Friday. I, th- I think we'll easily dispose of them. Plymouth, I'm going to go with Ant, a draw. Looking all right. Um, I do think maybe we'll go behind against Plymouth, but I think we might get one late in the latter stages of the second half. Cambridge. I'm going to say they only beat Newcastle. They're not that good. They only beat Newcastle. They don't beat us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, 
for me, banana skin still is Rotherham, you know, like uh, they've got, is it Cole Stockton who they've got? Um, he's at Morecambe. You know, well, he's been linked with Paul Fire Morecambe, Up, though. Sorry. I can't believe Cole Stockton's yeah. doing what he's doing. I haven't watched him at Tramia for years. He was fucking useless. So I can't believe he's not linked with a championship yeah. move. It's insane. I think he's got like 22 goals or something, hasn't he? He's top scorer. Um, but I thought he played for um, Rotherham. I don't know why I thought that. Probably because he's got 22 goals. But um, I, I think Rotherham might beat us still. Um, they've got a good goalkeeper, that Swedish lad. He He's good. Um, hard to beat, but yes, that there are on a you know a slippy slope as as Ant has mentioned. Um, Morgan smashed them five nil. Expecting us to smash them again, to be honest. Uh, the crap, but the, our football's ugly. So I think no one expected us to beat Wigan three nil. Um, but we did. So I'm hoping you know we turn up against Rotherham. I only see Rotherham really isn't is a problem there. So I think three points. Oh, is he? I didn't know that answer. Cheers. <laughs> um, so, I see um, Shrewsby, three points. Plymouth, one, four. It's Cambridge, seven, ten. I reckon we'll take ten. Yeah, fair enough. I think with Rotherham, your biggest nemesis is Michael Smith. Um, got a hat-trick against you at the New York Stadium, I think. Also an Alan Shearer fanatic. So, uh, yeah, that's going to sting a bit. Hopefully, he doesn't do the same again to you up at the Stadium of Light. Um, Jens, one final question. I know you like to do your baller and ball like. Oh, have you got a question, Greg? Sorry, mate. Yeah. Um, am I, is it? Oh, yeah, I'm on. I've got a quick question, actually. Um, so I've been trying to like Google uh, ex players for Rochdale and Sunderland, and I've found two. So <laughs> um, he was one of my favourite. I know one of them straight away. Okay, go for it. Mad Dog McShane. Paul McShane. Paul is McShane. one. That's three. So that's three, because I forgot about Paul. We've got a Paul McShane what a reference player. the first time on the player. podcast. That's brilliant. So that's three, because I, I didn't think of Paul McShane, and I should have done recently. I'm not sure um, I thought of him, but there you go. Uh, the one I've got is Will Buckley, a few seasons ago, about three years ago, was it? Something like that. How, how did it pan out for Will Buckley at Sunderland? Because he was such a prospect for, uh, for Dale. He was like, quite an energetic winger at the time for us. Um, and I think he played in the Premier League with somebody. I'm not too sure who it was, but how, how did it pan out for Will Buckley at Sunderland in the end? If, if Gary's bet, Gary might be better than me on this because I can't particularly remember him playing that many times. I, I think he might have actually played in the Premier think League. That's probably shown. He was in the Premier League for um, you guys. I, I want to say it. I wa- yeah, I, I want to say that Will Buckley's biggest claim to fame is he set up a winner for he who must not be named to score against Newcastle. Um, Got you. So I think that was yeah. Will Buckley, but bar that, I can't remember much about him. So it obviously, he was obviously not great. Was on with Jack Colback, right? Yeah, he must not be named. Ah, that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Will Buckley was signed by Gus Poyer, wasn't he? He so was, he was a bright under Where you got him from, what we said. Remember him doing really well for Brighton before he got moved to Sunderland? Under Poyet. Ah, yeah. Because um, uh, Poyet was at Brighton, wasn't he? Um, and he did well with Brighton at the time. And I can't remember, I think it was like 2 million, 2.5 million we signed him for. But I can't even, to be quite honest, I can't even remember him actually playing. I, I think he struggled with injuries for quite a lot of his time. I think he was with us for three seasons, like, but I don't imagine him making many appearances then. Like, I haven't Googled it or anything, but I'd probably say. I, 
he's probably made less than 10 appearances for Sunderland. So basically, I think it's Rochdale, Watford, Brighton, and then Sunderland. And I've just I've just looked at it now, but it says he only played 22 times for Sunderland, so that makes a lot of sense, actually. But um, I think he was riddled with a lot of injuries because last team he was playing for was Bolton. And that was, it says here, two years ago. But whether that's whether he's retired or not, I'm going to have to have a quick look at that. But he were, he were um, such an like energetic player for Dale. And it's always like, you always think, oh, he's going to be good, like Craig Dawson or somebody. But I never really, didn't really know what happened with Will Buckley in the end. I couldn't, I couldn't work it out. But it looks like he was just riddled with injur- injuries. Um, obviously, you spoke about Paul McShane as well. Um, but the, I found another one from um, a few years ago now. But it's Paul Butler, who is a centre back. Um, I don't know if you either of you remember his time at Sunderland. Was he was he any good for Sunderland, Paul Butler? I remember him. Oh, I love Paul Butler. Yeah, who? quality quality bloke. He was just your typical uh, your typical Sunday League looking footballer, wasn't he? You know, he he, he was never one to be first yeah. and last at the gym. Um, but I loved him. Absolutely loved him. We ended up. Um, we did a song about there's a, there's a like a folklore song about you called Niall Quinn's Disco Pants and some some like group. And he, and he said this to, song. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. By the they way. go up from his arse but, to his um, chest. They were like, oh, if, if you. That's it. That's the one. That's the one. And one of the lines of the song was, "If you've seen the size of Butler's thighs, he's running on pie energy." Um, but. Cracking, cracking play. <laughs> you know, loved him. Oh, yeah, he was, he was, um, yeah. He got to play on the, basically, to play I, alongside I think it was bold as well. I mean, what a thrill that must have been for him, you know, to play alongside one of the best centre halves <laughs> that ever yeah. graced the Premier League. Yeah. I'm not taking a Miguel. I love Steve Bold. You know, he was brilliant for us. But going back to Max Shane, he can you remember the beach ball game? When oh, sorry, Ben-10 yes. Scored? Yeah, well, but Paul Max Shane yes. played that game and he gave a better moment than that. He give a better mum than the beach ball and all that stuff, right? Liverpool have a corner in like it's it's getting up to like the ninetieth minute or something, and I think McShane doesn't know that it's gone out for a corner because I can't remember who the Liverpool striker is. He's literally just dribbling it across the byline to put it out to like to knock it to like the, the winger who's taking the corner. And Paul Butler goes running over and skies him. <laughs> he gets the ball and gets the man. I think he didn't think it had gone out. <laughs> it was absolutely hilarious. That's, I need to see this. But yeah, he was. Um, we had him last season, Paul McShane, and um, he left to go to Man United as their youth team manager, which was quite strange. He played against us. That's right. Might get a game of centre off in the check, whatever it is now, the Pizza Trophy. Oh, did he? Right, Man United in the twenty threes. And got his ass kicked by Will Harris, so he was awful. <laughs> like, so uh, he's obviously not improved anywhere he's gone this year. Like. See, I was looking at players that have played for both Everton and Sunderland, and there's bloody hundreds. There's That's loads a podcast into itself. You can cut from eleven. There's tons of the. I mean, the one I, I was reading up on list of them. The one I do not remember happening, and it was around a few players going through. Stephen Pienaar playing for Sunderland. I do not remember do you this. Remember that? No. Whether I just forgotten it, or whether I just blissfully was unaware that it, it was a thing, because I'm aware they signed. There was about least five Everton players that went in a short period of time to to where uh, Sunderland was. Oviedo, the last mentioned Darren Gibson, Julian Lescott, Adachebe went for a while at, uh, at that point. But I, yeah, I had no, no recollection of Stephen Pienaar playing Sunderland for some reason. 
It's probably because he didn't play many times, Matt. He didn't. He, he he came again at the wrong end of his career. It was it was one of those ones where Moyes, I think, was just desperate to bring somebody in, and obviously PNR was someone who he trusted. What getting the band back yeah, together? Pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that achievement. Everton yeah. circa twenty eleven just reunited. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much like it worked at Everton. It could work at something. Whereas. And Achebe did all right. And to be fair to Gibson, I know he had his he had his demons off the pitch and obviously what happened uh, when he got sacked for, for drunk driving. But up until the point he got injured in that in that championship season, he was actually playing really well for us. So uh, I don't really particularly have any ill 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 will towards him. And obviously, you look now we've got obviously Nathan Broder, I've mentioned once or twice. You look at like Jordan Pickford for, for Everton, you know, I think it, it is like probably in a podcast in itself, it's probably about a hundred. I can probably Rattle off to be honest, lords. Am I right in thinking you had Thomas Meyer at one point in goal? We did. Good God, Thomas Meyer. There's yeah. a reference. My God, <laughs> that lane for a while. Bloody hell! I, sh- I knew you had. I knew. Uh, I thought it was another one because I had him in mind. I had another player as well who was before our time. I think gents, but a very good player, Paul Bracewell. He was part of our eighty-five like league and cup winners cup. But inside, I think I think we got him from you. Could be wrong. Back in the eighties, he was a cracking player. Alongside Peter Reid, who of course managed you guys. Yeah, and then Reid in the season course, that we really. got promoted course, to the really. Premier League brought Bracewell back to be his assistant manager. Um, and that was the first time I saw Bracewell. He had an absolutely fantastic season. What a player he was, man. Brilliant player. Right, so we could probably make an entire like new podcast about just Evans and Lynn Connections, to be honest. And I think there's always been a good little, without sounding too lovey, a good little brotherhood between both clubs. I think there's been a lot of solidarity. Especially with the Brian, you know, I mentioned it with you guys on the on your podcast, but the Bradley Lowry Foundation work that Everton did alongside Sunderland, the fact that both got delusional, annoying, richer neighbours that we very much vehemently dislike. Um, there's a lot there that we can sympathise with. We're probably two of the most unluckiest, hard done by supporter bases in the country. Um, and moving on to Ball Lakes, I was just going to say, um, you know, you do on your part the feature Baller or Ball Lake for the week. Well, I'm going to somewhat extrapolate that for the entire time in League One. What's your baller moment? So maybe your best moment in League One, if it's possible. And probably easier to think of is your biggest ball ache. The moment where you've gone, fucking hell, lads, we're in League One. We're really in the doldrums here. Oh, what the fuck are we doing here? Uh, You've got as long as you need, guys. You'll be here a while, I'm sure, for that that latter one. But you're baller and ball ache of your time in League One thus far. Hopefully it's not for much longer. You can go first on that one. Oh, thanks, mate. Um, <laughs> oh, you know what? We we got to Wembley three times. Um, now nah, I can't really say that because we like well, we didn't we, the one we did the one we won. No one was allowed to go due to COVID, so I can't. I've got to rule that one out straight away. Um, I don't want to be horrible to Greg because I was against Tram, yeah, so, yeah, no, true against James Vaughan as well, another ex Sunderland and Everton player. <laughs> um. Just keep throwing them in. Keep throwing them I'll in. I'll keep remembering them all. Um, best moment. I, I, I struggle because it's just been four years of shite. Um, probably, and again, I don't mean. It. Why do you think so I asked it's you? Not the Netflix. No, not not the Netflix documentary at all. No. Um, I, like I say, I won't watch the. Not not the EDM scene for the Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I won't watch this. I haven't seen the second series. I won't watch it. I refuse to watch it. Um, it just brings back too much. That Wembley... I, I, I do no, not blame that, you. That Wembley heartache. I mean, I went when we got beat off Charlton and I was only a kid then. 
um, and that hurt, but that one hurt more. It really did. You know, the last minute, it was it was horrendous. And then there was a little bit of trouble in the crowd afterwards as well, which I stupidly got involved in. But you know, it's by the by. Um, uh, I can't. I can't th- like the 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 one moment where I thought would definitely going up. Um, there's there's two actually, so I'll narrow it down. I'm not going to be horrible to Greg. There's one of them is against Rochdale when we beat Rochdale two one on Grand National Day, so it's about three years ago. I remember now. this. Yeah, um, I was there. Rule just yeah. its second national. So that was a one where I thought we're definitely going up. We managed to ball it up, but I'd probably say it was last season against Portsmouth, and it was I think it was a Friday night game on the it was on the television anyway, and everyone was like. It, it's all this stuff where, where you watch the build-up and it's like, oh, it's all Portsmouth, it's all Portsmouth, that. And I think Portsmouth were on a really, really good run and we absolutely demolished them. You know, White scored and Jordan Jones scored as well. And that was a moment I went on. I, I mean, I've got like another podcast of this as well um, that I'm part of, the Roper Report. And I went on the Roper Report that night and said, we are going up. And that, that was the best I felt in League One. So that I'd probably say that one. But we, I haven't got many, even though we've... You know, we have had some highs, you know, we have, you know, we've, but but we've been top maybe three weeks out of four years and it's not good enough, you know, and, and I, I don't mean that to be big headed or this, you know, diminishing League One because I really don't, you know, I, I, we're in League One for a reason, you know, but it's like, how are you? And, and then at the other point, it's like, how are you? This is Sunderland, you know, and, and, and really it shouldn't have taken this long. It has, and I just hope we're out of it this year, to be honest. So I can't. I'm gonna. I'll have to say the Portsmouth away game because that was the one I thought we were definitely going to be promoted, and it went all peak tongue anyway. So, like Anne said, um, it's hard because being League One's draws. But the, one of the most positive things, probably really from this season, was that we had a good cup run, and you know we made it the Emirates. To play Arsenal, albeit Arsenal smashed us 5-1, but, you know, Nathan Broadhead scored a good goal. And, you know, at that time it was, I think we went in half-time 1-1 off the top of my head. But second half, yes, it did fall apart. And, you know, at that moment in time, it's kind of like, well, dare to dream, we, we might knock Arsenal out of the cup. Granted, it didn't, didn't happen, but it, it, was an, it was a nice feeling. And I'm pretty sure... Over the last four years that we've been in League One, back in December when we were top of the league, albeit for a game or two, I'm pretty sure that's the only time we've been top of League One, which was a nice feeling because really that's where we should be. Um, but the the moments are, are few and far between. Um, and touched on you know heartbreak with playoffs. Um, a ball ache for me was against Lincoln City. Um, we got beat two nil in the first leg. We won the second leg two one. So when we pulled it back, it was like we could go on and we could go to the final here. Granted, Lincoln got that goal, which ultimately put us out. And you know that was that was kind of hard to take because we're a better we're a better side than Lincoln, and we shouldn't have lost that game. But in the second half, a lot of the times. Under Lee Johnson, yes, the team did tend to, you know, fall apart in the second half, um, which wasn't nice to to watch. It was actually it was heart heart attack football is what I'd call it, um, but it was it was difficult because 
uh, we shouldn't have got beat off Lincoln. We did well to come back in, in that leg. But then they got that goal, which took them through the final. Um, so, yeah, I would probably say that's definitely a ball-ache moment for me, as, as, aside from Portsmouth as well. Yeah, just very quickly, Jimmy, me ball-ache is the 14 months that we had to endure having Phil Parkinson as our manager because that was an absolute horrific, horrific stage of our uh, existence. And we hope we never get anyone as feeble and as, as a coward and as um, a man who literally did not know what it meant to run Sunderland Football Club, to manage Sunderland Football Club in his life. He was on his best job he'll ever get in his life, you know, and I'm not going to... Phil, jo- uh, Phil Johnson, Phil <laughs> Parkinson will never get a better job than Sunderland AFC. And again, that's not being big-headed. It's, it's been it's been matter-of-fact. And um, he balls it up and he had us playing the worst football I've ever seen in my life. And the fact that he's now, um, you know, man- managing a team who's run by two Hollywood superstars... Just beggars belief, to be honest. Um, it's madness in it. But, yeah, I was just going to um, say, he is yeah, at Wrexham, any, isn't he? Any game, pick yeah. any game with the Thunder, Bill Parkinson. But yeah, he's, he's at Wrexham. Yeah, uh, he's going to get promoted as well. But anyway, but any game under Phil Parkinson, Bolton nil nil at home at Boxing Day about three years ago now was the worst game I've ever seen in my life. Um, both sides were playing like this was when Bolton still had the youth team playing for them. And we were absolutely shambolic. And, you know, that was just horrendous. And somehow Parkinson managed to not just get to the end of the season, he managed to get, you know, a, a good few months into the in the last in the last season before they had the um, the grace had got to get rid of him. So, but it just go back, I want to erase that from my memory, to be honest, and of Sunderland's memory, to be honest. It was horrendous, horrendous bit of football. Is it similar to the Rafa Benitez era that we will never speak of again for as long as I live? Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, it's it's. I mean, that was kind of a, a different kind of thing because why on earth would Everton want Rafa Benitez when he's managed the arch rivals? I mean, it's like it's basically look what happened at Newcastle with Steve Bruce. You know, it was never going to work because Steve Bruce he used to manage Sunderland. Yes, he's a Newcastle fan, but he used to manage Sunderland. It's like if. Um, I'm trying to think of a half decent manager they've ever had. Like, imagine if like Eddie Howe gets gets sacked at Newcastle and then comes Sunderland. We would not want him at Sunderland because he he's managed there. And and as much as as much as I want to go into Rafa, well, what if you got Rafa? You, you know what it is with Rafa though as well. Rafa was finished at Newcastle. They should have just let him do whatever he wanted to do in China for his big money, his big money bucks. And for me, and I know I'm going off topic here about Everton. If Everton do go down. And I really, really hope, guys, I'm not just saying this because I'm on a podcast with Everton fans, but I really do want them to stay up. As, as, as much as it pains us to say that Burnley would have to go down because there's a couple of Burnley fans coming out of Porto who I really, really like. And I like Burnley as a football club. But Frank Lampard is not at fault for this. You know, this isn't his team. This isn't, you know, anything he's done. Yes, I know you're not playing great football, this, that and the other. I know it's... But this is Rafa's team and, and Rafa's made some horrendous decisions, you know, in, in, in since he's come in and it, it's sometimes is it too little too little is the Man United win too little too little? I don't know. But um whoever made that decision, I mean I know he has been sacked um, since then, but they just want to hang their heads in shame and should never work in football again. No, I think it's safe to say that neither of our clubs have welcomed Rafa Benitez with open arms. Maybe Rochdale manager one day, possibly. But uh, 
We'll see about that. And on Phil Parkinson, yeah, you know, Bolton, Bradford did a great job, Bradford, Wrexham, but Sunderland are on a vastly different level to those clubs in, I think, most of our personal opinions. Um, any further questions, boys, at all? No, uh, it's been a joy to listen to you guys talk about it. I've really enjoyed it for the last time. No, it's been brilliant just to catch up with Sunderland. With, uh, really enjoyed it. We were in the same division as them a couple of years ago and things like that, but you, you do lose track of some, some other teams and it's Sunderland I didn't I couldn't keep up with, but obviously when we were in the same division I did, you know. It's been great. It's been a good good episode. Thank you very much, gents. Always welcome back on and likewise we would love to be back on your podcast soon. And where can we find your podcast on the social medias? Gary's the one for this guys. <laughs> I thought uh, this would be the case. Um, so if you were looking for the What About Lake podcast, you'd be able to find it on Apple, Spotify, Sounder, and Google Podcasts. Um, however, Google do sometimes restrict the podcasts for explicit language, and I don't know why they do it. Um, so I'd maybe probably not go to Google, but obviously you can find us as well on Twitter and Instagram. We have been doing a lot with spaces as well lately, and uh, trying to build up a little bit of a, a following for that. So every now and then we do try to to get a space out. But just on the back of that as well, fellas, I uh, just want, obviously want to thank you for having us on as well. Do really appreciate it, and been a really good chat. Yeah, it's it's nice to talk to fans who are just as miserable as as Sunderland fans. To be honest, not not excluding Rochdale, obviously. I, I do think Rochdale <laughs> will come back, but yeah, you know, it, I think we're both cases of what could have been and what can potentially happen. So fingers crossed we're playing each other in the Premier League soon. That's the Everton fans. And I would love another trip back to the Crown Oil Stadium because I absolutely love it. Yeah, the men in blue doesn't refer to the blue shirts because we're all fucking miserable around here. That's what it's all about. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, please do subscribe and listen to the What A Ball Like podcast on the social medias as well as Men In Blue podcast. You can find us on Twitter at, at Men In Blue Pod CA1 as well as on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music, not Apple Music, Apple iTunes, and wherever else you just Google us, we'll be around somewhere. Um, and if we're not, then let us know. Um, thank you all very much for joining us today, including Greg, Matt. Gary and Ant, it's been an absolute pleasure and we look forward to being back in your ears very, very soon. Bye for now. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Podcast Network.